Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. Amen. Today we're continuing a series we've been studying for a couple of weeks called The Outsiders. Anybody been enjoying The Outsiders? Okay, it sounds like, yeah, I'm okay. Anybody enjoying The Outsiders? Y'all okay? Or do I need to switch to something else? No. Of course, uh, we'll start in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named. Then in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, it reads, And when he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered, harassed, and distressed, and dejected, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, we live in a world of suffering people, people who are just like we just finished reading, that are bewildered, they're harassed, they're distressed, they're dejected, they feel hopeless. They are helpless. And a lot of those people are our family, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors. And basically, they're just not living a life that God really intended for them to live. When he created them, there was a certain type of life he wanted them to live, just like there's a certain type of life he wants us to live. And the reason why so many are in that position is simply because they are outside of the family of God. They are outside outsiders. And God wants those who are in his family, insiders, people have chosen to to believe in Jesus, to help him reach those outsiders, to help bring those people into his family. So what we've been doing these last couple of weeks is we've been looking at what the Bible has to say about this to help us care for them like God cares for them, to help us care enough about those outside of his family that will do our part to bring them in the family and also to help us really to take our life to another level, to take our lives to the level where we're really enjoying the full, rich lives that God wants us to live, lives where we're not just interested in being blessed ourselves, but we're being used by God to make a mark in someone else's life. And so, of course, the first week we learned that life far from God is far from good, and that's what so many people are experiencing. And so God wants us who are followers of Jesus to almost compel them, almost drag those people into his family because it's just that important for them to not be far from God but to be close to God. And then last week we went a step farther, and we learned that we ought to really care about people that are far from God, that we got to get to the place where we stop just looking at ourselves and our lives, that we lift up our eyes and look at those who are suffering around us, that we realize it's not about us, it's about them. And therefore, once again, we do our part to bring them into God's family. In fact, we talked about the fact that there were places in the Bible where uh, people's friends and family went out of their way to find them, to bring them to Jesus. And we talked about four men who took their sick friend and they literally carried him on a rooftop carrying a a stretcher and they broke up a rooftop and let him down in front of Jesus. And it's because of those four men that their friend was healed. And we need to do the same type of thing today for people that are in our lives. 
In fact, I want to look at 2 Kings chapter 5 and another example of that. In verse 1, it reads, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Of course, today we would call Aram Syria. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She was his maid. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman is really a war hero. The king of Syria loves him, but he does have a problem. He's got a skin disease called leprosy. And so this particular servant says something. Uh, that really gets his attention. She says, hey, there's a prophet in Samaria who can heal you of this. And if we were to read the rest of the story, we'd find out that Naaman eventually lets the king know this. The king says, hey, I'm going to send you over there. I'm going to send you with a lot of gifts. And when he gets to Israel, ultimately, he ends up at the prophet's doorstep. And when he gets to the, do the prophet's doorstep, of course, the prophet just sends a messenger out and says, tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. And as the story goes, Naaman got upset. He got upset. He expected the prophet to come out and, you know, basically call down fire, right? He was looking for something spectacular when all he needed was something supernatural. And eventually he got so upset that he just left. But then we pick up in verse 13 and it says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing." Would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So notice what happens here is that Naaman has decided to ignore the instruction that he was given. He's going to walk away still with leprosy, but some of his servants came and just convinced him to just try it out. They're saying, hey, man, if the prophet had told you to climb a mountain, right, or the prophet had told you to do 100 backflips, I mean, you'd have done anything he told you to do if it had been spectacular to get your healing. If all he's saying is to wash in the Jordan River seven times, why not do that? And because they went in and convinced him to try this, when he went ahead and, and got in the Jordan River and he dipped seven times, he was completely healed. His skin became that like that of a little child. God can do that. He can cause you to have brand new skin, brand new lungs, brand new spines. Come on, somebody, somebody might need that right now. You need to claim that and say, yeah, I thank God for my brand new. And that's what happened. He, he was completely healed. But this does not happen without his servants without those individuals caring enough about him to say something to him. First of all, the servant that told him about the prophet. Second of all, the servants that convinced him to actually go ahead and try, to, to go ahead and go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. And the same thing is true for us today. We need to be those servants. We've got Naamans in our lives who have the leprosy of horrible marriages 
who have the leprosy of sickness, who have the leprosy of depression, who have the leprosy of, of, of all kinds of problems, and we know the answer. We know that Jesus can take care of that. We know there's a place like FX Church where God can restore them. They can find freedom. And, and, and we need to be the ones that kind of draw near, as the Bible would say, and just talk to them and convince them to go ahead and try it out. In James chapter 5, we see something very similar in verse 19. It says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Or as the New Living Translation says, bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Notice this. If one of you, so he's talking about people who were Christians, were followers of Jesus, wanders from the truth. In other words, they decide to step away from following Jesus, they, they allow themselves to be deceived and end up going a different way, living their life on a different road. Well, the Bible says here that, first of all, that person ends up being called a sinner. And I know I was asked a question this week. I do a Facebook Live every Friday, 12 o'clock on Facebook and actually Instagram as well. And somebody asked, what do you think about once saved, always saved? Is that true? And I told them, you know, that the Bible just doesn't teach that. It just doesn't teach it. It doesn't teach that once you choose to follow Jesus, no matter what you do, from here on out, you got a ticket to heaven. No, you can give that ticket back. You can give it back. And that's really what they're talking about here. Somebody that used to follow Jesus and for whatever reason decided to, to turn away from following. And he says here that if that happens and one of you go get him, because that's what's implied. You see your former brother or sister in God. Walk away from God, and you don't just sit there and watch that. You go out of your way to go get them and convince them to come back to God. You will have saved a sinner, a soul from death, and you will have brought about the forgiveness of many sins. You will have saved them. What's the goal of this scripture? It's to encourage those of us who are believers to go after prodigals, as we often call them, people who used to serve God but just aren't doing it anymore, and to bring them home. It's, it's to encourage us to go and save them. It's really to encourage us to be a hero. You know, I've got on my Captain America shirt today, and Captain America happens to be my favorite Avenger. And as he's just the one I, I, for whatever reason, I identify with the most. And what, what we know about a Captain America or any of those superheroes is that what they do is save people. That's why they're a hero. Because somebody's in danger, somebody's life's about to end, and then they step in and save the day. Probably the most famous superhero still to this day is Superman. And uh, one of the most underrated movies of all time is Man of Steel. And those who enjoy, you'll you have to agree with me. Yeah, I see some hands. Thank you. Some of y'all say, I don't know what you're talking about. Great movie. Watch it. Anyway, moving on. Superman always saves Lois Lane. She's getting pushed off a building. She's about to die. He swoops in and saves her, right? He's a hero. When a fireman sees a burning building and is told there's a child in there, 
and runs in that burning building, puts their life on the line, and comes out with that, cha- that child in their arms. What are they called? That's a hero. We, we hopefully honor that individual. What's God saying to you today? Be a hero. Turn to them and tell them, be a hero. Turn to somebody else and tell them, be a hero. Find somebody else and tell them, you know, Jack. God's really saying, be a hero. He really wants you to be the one that he uses to save somebody from going to hell, to save somebody from the leprosy in their life. That's what he wants from us. And one of the ways that you can be a hero is by being a good witness for Jesus. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus is talking here. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, of course, Jesus was talking to the apostles as we know them there, you know, Peter and John and Matthew and the like. But, of course, what he said didn't just apply to them. They just happened to be the first. This is something that, of course, now can uh, be true of every person that chooses to believe in Jesus. But he says here that God was going to give power. That power, that word power means really miraculous power, supernatural ability to uh, them so that they could be witnesses for him. And the word witness here means a witness judicially. In other words, the idea is someone being in the court of in a court of law being called to the stand and then telling their testimony of what they saw. And what these guys had seen was Jesus live, do miracles, be crucified and rise again. They were talking to a man who had died and rose again. So he's saying, I want you to tell everybody that I am alive. And that was their message, that Jesus was resurrected. If you go through the book of Acts, you'll notice that they talked all the time about the resurrection of Jesus because his resurrection changed everything. Up until that point, he was a miracle worker. Up until that point, he was a good preacher. Up until that point, he was somebody that, that changed lives. But, he, but there were other guys who had been miracle workers and good preachers. But there was nobody who rose again. Nobody caused themselves to rise again. Now him rising again proved something. It proved that he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a preacher. He was the son of God. And if you would believe in him, you could have everlasting life. And that's what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And to this day, there is still evidence that Jesus rose again. That tomb is still empty. I'm going to say that again. That tomb is still empty. That body still hasn't been found. And these guys so believe what they saw that they actually allowed themselves to be murdered because of it. And we've, we've said it before. You know, if, if these guys were lying, then guess what? When they were being taken to be crucified upside down like Peter was, they'd have said, hold up. 
At some point, you'd have said, well, we made this up. I'm not interested. But they knew they saw him. They knew it was true. And to this day, we can see through all the things God has done in our lives and the miracles he's doing and, of course, the evidence that we have in the Bible and history that he rose again. So Jesus is saying here that I want you to be witnesses unto me. You know, the word witness also means this. In fact, I looked this up in the uh, uh, dictionary.com. It says, a witness is an individual who, being present, personally sees or perceives a thing, an eyewitness. Another definition it gives is simply this, a person or thing that affords evidence. A person or thing that affords evidence. Why do I need a witness? Because somebody's word is not enough. I need somebody else to give their word. Or I need somebody else to give evidence. And the bottom line is when you tell some people about Jesus, what you say won't be enough. They won't just listen to what you say. They need to see something. They need to have some type of evidence. And if you heard this before, people might say, well, you know, what makes your religion better than my religion? What makes you smarter than me? That's one reason why people say, well, you know, you're judging me or, you know, you're, you're too exclusive and, you know, that you're a bigot because you're saying there's only one way. And if it were only, you know, if there were no evidence, they might have a point. But when you provide evidence that, indeed, what I'm saying is true, there is one way, well, then all of a sudden, this is an entirely different conversation. It's kind of like if, you know, you were to have a conversation with somebody and they didn't believe in gravity. And you tell them, no, gravity exists, man. Gravity exists. I'm serious, man. This is a real force in this world. And then, well, I don't believe in gravity. And then y'all go up to the roof of the music hall. And they say, well, I don't believe in gravity. And then you push them off. They'll believe in gravity. You'll go to jail, but they'll believe in gravity. Right? Why? Because you're providing evidence. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, man, I, I want you all to provide evidence of this. And, you know, the same thing is true for us today. God actually wants you to be a witness for him. That's one way you'll be a hero. That's one way God will use you to save that person who is far from God or save that person who used to follow God is providing evidence of the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did rise from the dead, and that he is the Son of God. So there are a couple of tools that God has given us to provide evidence and three elements of being a good witness for Jesus. And the first one is simply this, living a godly lifestyle. You may say, Pastor, I, when you talk about evidence, I don't think about that. I mean, he said power to be a witness. And true, this power here is talking about something that comes on you so you can preach and you can do miracles. But there is another, another part of, of, of what the Holy Ghost has given us. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us we choose to follow Jesus. So there, there's, there, that, there's another part of that that I want to talk about as well because he didn't just say you will witness for me, meaning you'll preach at people, but he said you will be witnesses. And one way to be a witness is simply by how you live. Thank you for those two amens. Look at Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 13. It says you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 
So he's talking about people who are followers of Jesus, saying you're the salt of the earth, which means the earth needs you. You need to be preserved by the earth. The Bible teaches that one day, you know, those who are following Jesus will be raptured up, and that's when things will really go wrong on earth. But he's saying if the salt has lost its savor, I mean, if you're a quote-unquote believer, you're following the way, as the Bible calls it, and yet you don't live like that, what good are you? What good is salt that doesn't make your food taste better? Anybody ever notice that some of this healthy salt? Is it just me? Because you know, sometimes my mother is in some of that stuff, and she'll give you, well, you should try this salt. It'd be like sea salt or something. And I do it one time, and I'm like, I, they, I, they, I don't taste nothing but the food. And I, I guess I'm not mature enough yet to be like, well, I, I'm going to eat it anyway because it's healthy. I'm like, I'm going to eat my saw, and then I'm just going to exercise. <laughs> well, he's telling us, yeah, we're that kind of saw. You don't, we're no good if we're, if we're not living this lifestyle. Verse, he continues saying, you are the light of the world which means the world is dark and it needs light. You are that light if you're a follower of Jesus. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So the world's in a valley and you're the city on a hill. Notice what's implied here is that God wants you to be seen. God wants you to stand out. Too often, those who follow God like to be secret agent Christians. You know, we want to we wanna blend in. And we are in a world where everybody else is coming out the closet with all kinds of stuff. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I saw something online the other day where some guy was saying that he had a friend tell him that he's into bestiality. I'm like, man, if I was that sick, I wouldn't tell anybody. But that's the world we live in. Everybody's coming out the closet. This is who I am. You ought to accept who I am. But then for Christians, we, we, we want to hide because we know that people won't accept who we are. But God is saying, I want you to stand out too. I want people to compare that lifestyle that they're living with the lifestyle I have given you the ability to live. Why would he say that? Why? Because it's going to be a good comparison. It's going to work out for me. That's what God's saying. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament where the prophet of God uh, really pretty much set up a showdown. He said, listen, you all build an altar, and I want you to cry out to your God. And then when you get done, I'm going to cry out to my God. And whichever God answers by fire, that's God. That's who we serve. And if you know the story, they built an altar, and then they cried out to their God who happened to be Baal then. Today it might be sex because that's what a lot of this whole sexual argument is, is just simply wanting to serve the God of sex. It might be money. It might be fame. It might be, a, a, you know, Allah or some other God. And, you know, that's what they did. They cried out to him, and they danced. They did everything, and they got no response. It took all day long to do it, broke up the altar. He finally had his turn. He had to fix the altar. Of course, they wanted fire. So what he did was show off a little bit, get some water, pour it all over the altar. Right? So now there's not going to be a little spark that happens to cause this to happen. He prays a short prayer, 
fire falls from heaven, and they all fall on their face. The Lord, he is the God. God likes stuff like that. He likes showing off. He really does. And we'll probably see some words later on that kind of show that where God likes to shine, but he shines through you. He goes on to say, notice that people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men. Notice that, before men. He's talking about before people that are far from God. He's not talking about us coming to church and shining in front of each other. Thank God that we do that, but too often that's all we do. Thank you for those two amens. I'm going to preach it anyway. I don't care. I feel brave with my Captain America shirt on. The New Living Translation says, let your deeds shine out for all to see, that they may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. So God is telling us here, he's saying, listen, I have given you light. I have made you a light, and I want you to show that light. You are my flashlight. I want to shine you in this dark world because when people see the light, they'll come see the one holding the light. They'll come see me. And how do you do that? Well, God is telling you by doing good deeds, by living your life in a way that, that is right before God. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 says it this way. In fact, I'm going to read the message translation, although we were going to do the New King James, but I love the message translation on this. It says, do everything readily and cheerfully. Oh, that'll preach. The New King says, without murmuring and complaining. Oof. No bickering, no second-guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Like something I saw last night that was posted on Taffy Dollar's page. He said, as the body of Christ... We're called to be a breath of fresh air. And that's what God's saying. God's saying that you ought to live right before me and before people, not just because, you know, sin can hurt you, not, uh, but, but because you living right before them will point them to me. You living right before them will help me win them. When you don't cuss, that gets people's attention. You know, you know I'm right, I've written a screenplay. I'm in the middle of the process of producing a movie. I'm still excited about that, man. It's, just, it's a God thing every step of the way. I could tell you all some stories. I'm sure I will tell you some stories once we get closer to things. And, uh, but one of the things that I found when I would send it out to get, you know, critiqued was that people would respond with the fact that there's no cursing in this. There's no sex in this. And you think about it as a shock. I didn't even think about it. But I get complete. They're like, man, there's no cussing in this movie. There's no this, that. And I'm like, well, why would there be? Like, I'm a Christian. Why would I put cussing? But you know, some Christians don't think like that. I notice that a lot. We see a lot of Christians cussing all the time. Oh, the Bible don't say don't cuss. Yes, it does. 
Stop it. Come on. Over and over and over again. Well, who made up cuss words? Come on, man. You really got to work that hard so you can feel okay cussing? Okay, so I'm trying to stay in my time. You know, the Bible says, let there not be uh, fornication, which is sexual sin, named once among all of you. In other words, he's saying there ought not be one person in the church who watches porn, ever. Woo, two amens. One who does, who's not married, who's having sex, ever. One who's not married, who's committing adultery, ever. He even talks about you really shouldn't even be telling dirty jokes. Y'all were with me until I got to this point. Folks like, whoo. But it's true. What's God saying? I need you to live clean. I need you to stand out. Because that's going to help your mama, your cousin, your best friend to see the truth about me. When they see that you used to be a devil and now you live like an angel, they're going to wonder what's going on. And don't get me wrong. Don't feel judged if you're struggling in some of these areas. My point is to show you where God wants to get you and where God can get you if you're willing to come closer to him and allow him to help you to know him and find freedom and discover your purpose so you can make a mark. But God is telling us here that, that the way we live out should stand out, that we should do so much good and we should live so holy that it actually points people to God. Because really God's reputation is impacted by how Christians live. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, uh, Paul was talking to some folk that thought they were spiritual, but they were living the complete opposite of what they were saying. And he said in verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. It simply means people who are far from God because of you. God doesn't want his name blasphemed because of you. He doesn't want to take hits because of how you're living. And um, he actually cares about his reputation among people that don't know him. And it's helped or it's harmed by how his people live. Now, there's two sides of that. One side of that is when we say that we're followers of Jesus and we act anything like any, like, like, and we act in any, uh, completely opposite of that, then, you know, we're harming God. Now, the other side of that, there's some people that are going to be against you and criticize God because, you know, they don't understand what you're doing and, and all of that. But the point is that God is saying that I really want you to make sure my name is glorified. It's lifted up. It's put neon lights. It, it, it's in a good light through how you live. This is one way that you be a witness. Number two, sharing Jesus with others. Sharing Jesus with others. Talking about how to be a witness, how to be a hero. And one of them is by sharing Jesus with others. In Daniel chapter 12, this is talking about what happens after, you know, Jesus comes back. This whole thing is over, Right? And now everybody who is dead, you know, really wakes up to judgment. And if you were to read the scripture before, it says some people are going to wake up and find they're going to hell. Talking about their bodies waking up. It's a whole other story in there. And then some people are going to wake up and find themselves going to heaven. And of those that go to heaven, he says here, and those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky 
and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. So there seems to be a greater reward in eternity for those who lead many to Christ. And notice that shining bright seems to be a part of that reward. It's like you, the more you do for God, the more you're going to shine. You're going to want to shine in heaven, right? And, and, and the key, though, is to lead many, to save many. And often when we think about maybe winning people to, to Christ, maybe we think too low. Maybe we think, you know, maybe if I get one person to follow Jesus in my life, I've done well. And, and thank God if you have, you've saved somebody from hell and you've given them a chance to live the future God has for them. But God thinks much higher than that. He's saying by the time your life is over, you should have personally played a role and leading many to God. You should have done it. And if you think about it, we want to reach the city of Detroit, not to mention, you know, uh, other cities and other regions. And part of the call of this church is to start churches in, in, in the Midwest. But if we're, if we're going to do that, it's going to take all of us leading many to God, right? So he's telling us here that really each one of us should lead many. In fact, the whole point of this being in the Bible is that it's an encouragement to each of us that are already in God's family to bring in as many as we can to God. And how do we do that? Well, that means that I'm going to have to share Jesus with many people because some people are going to say no. The Bible teaches that. Some people are going to say, I don't want anything to do with it. And some people are going to say, I, I, yep, I'm, I'm ready. And some people are going to say no now and yes later. So if I'm going to lead many to Jesus, I really need to have the habit of sharing Jesus with people. It can't just be a one-time thing or a two-time thing or even a once-a-year thing. It's got to be something I'm doing on a pretty regular basis. Now, I don't fish. I've never had a chance to fish. I don't think I have the patience to fish. Used to go hunting with my dad, and, and when we were sitting in the blind all day, I would get bored, especially when it's cold. You know, it's 5, 6 in the morning. That alone was enough for me. I wouldn't, I'm not getting up at 5 or 6 for fun. I'm not a morning person. I'm a night person. But, you know, we get up at 5, 6 in the morning, and we out here freezing in the cold, waiting for an animal to come by. Yeah, it wasn't for me. But when we would get on the truck, and we ride around. Now I was having fun, right, because I'm able to find something, right? And, and, and so I'm not really into fishing because I, I don't like sitting there. But I do know enough that if I want to catch some fish, I'm going to have to keep throwing it in the water. I'm going to try a different bait. Then I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to keep doing this for a while. And it's after I've been out there a while that I will have piled up some fish, Right? i got to keep doing it. And the same thing is true when it comes to winning people to Jesus. You've got to develop the habit of throwing out some bait, sharing Jesus with people. That's one of the habits of a Christian. We talk about this in Growth Track. One of the habits that you're supposed to have that helps you to reach your potential in God and live the future God has for you is that you have the habit of sharing Jesus with people. 
And often when we talk about sharing Jesus, we, we get intimidated. Pastor, are you saying I got to get a white towel? I got to preach a three-part sermon to every person in my life that don't know God. You know, hallelujah. Hey, you know, do I got to do that? No. Often sharing Jesus starts with just sharing your story. Just telling people about you. Stop hiding what God has done for you. Mark chapter 5, there was a man there who was possessed with a legion of demon spirits. If you know the story, you know that this man was terrorizing a town. Jesus shows up. The man gets set free. He's sitting there in his right mind. It freaks everybody out. And then in Mark chapter 5, you know, Jesus is leaving. These people literally ask Jesus to leave. Some people will do that. And you got to realize they're not, rec- they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. So Jesus gets in the boat to leave. God's a gentleman. He's not going to stay around if you don't want him to stay around. And this guy is like, I'm coming with you. And this is one of the only times in the Bible where we actually see Jesus tell somebody, no. He says, no, you can't come with me. Instead, he says this. He says, go home to your own people and tell them your story. What's the story? What the master did, how he had mercy on you. Tell them what I did for you. And if you were to keep reading the story, you find out that's what he does. He goes and he just tells people, man, I was possessed with demon spirits. This is how my life was. Then I met Jesus. And this is what he did for me. Look at where I am now. That's your story. If you're someone that's a follower of Jesus, you have a before and after story. So you need to start telling people where you were before and then telling people where you are now. And tell them who did it for you. And that won't always lead to someone praying a prayer right then. But eventually, it just might. There are really four steps to to sharing your story with Jesus, to winning people to Jesus. The first is to accept the personal responsibility. Jesus is telling you to do that. He told us this in in Mark 16. He said, go and preach the gospel to every creature, right? We all have this responsibility. We all are supposed to lead many to Christ. The second is to build a personal relationship with people. You know, sometimes it's okay to go out and and talk to people about Jesus that you don't know. And sometimes you help those people receive from Jesus. But most of the time, something like 80% of people that choose to follow Jesus do so as a result of a relationship with a friend or family member. Somebody they know was was able to talk to them and help them to see the truth about Jesus. Like this man, he told them, he didn't tell them to go to everybody. He said, go to your people. So build a relationship with people. I like to say win by being a friend. Number three, of course, share your personal story. That's what we just finished talking about. And then number four, at some point you've got to give a personal invitation. At some point you need to either invite them to, you know, a Sunday experience or, or one of your crews, your small group, or invite them to receive Jesus right there on the spot. But at some point you've got to close the deal. All right, number three, how do I be a witness? Y'all still with me? Y'all doing all right? Turn neighbor and tell them, be a hero. Number three is by doing miracles using his power. Doing miracles using whose power? His power. You might say, I can't do miracles. Well, we're not talking about what you can do. No, we're talking about using his power. Notice what Jesus said. He said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. 
Well, what works was Jesus doing? In Matthew 11, he said, man, the blind receive their sight, the deaf hear, the lame walk. He said that the, the dead are raised up. You may say, man, you mean to tell me that Jesus is saying that if I believe in him, I'll do those type of miracles? Not only, will you, not only did he say that you would do those type of miracles, he actually expects you to. In Matthew 10, he was sending out the 12, and this would include Judas. And he said, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, I gave you what you need to do this. I bless you. Now, I want you to go around and do the same thing. In Mark 16, he said, these signs, miracles, right, will follow them that believe. Not just pastor so-and-so, evangelist so-and-so, famous preacher so-and-so. He said, these are, these are things that are follow those that believe. They'll cast out devils. Come on, how many know there's some devils in Detroit that need to be cast out? He said, they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So God is telling us something that we got to embrace. And I've been talking about this a lot more recently because at some point we got to get this. And when we get this, watch out. The devil is in trouble. We realize everybody in here can do miracles and that you should be. In fact, notice how Jesus said here, he said, the works that I do shall he do. He didn't even say the works that I did. He said the works that I do. In other words, I'm still doing these miracles all the time. And he was. He was doing them all the time. And he's saying, what I'm doing all the time, you'll be doing all the time. Now, you can't do it all the time if you don't have the habit of sharing Jesus. Because these two often go together. When you talk about Jesus is when Jesus shows up. When you talk about Jesus is when you, so, you know, somebody say, well, you know, I'm dealing with this. Well, let me just pray with you for a moment. And you pray with them and they get healed. Or God starts to tell you something about their life that there's no way you can know. And it's the very thing they needed to hear. And it leads to them choosing to follow him as evidence to them that there's something going on here that's beyond what I've known before. See, God wants to use you to do miracles. We said it before. Some people won't be turned just by what you say. They'll be turned by what they see. And what they'll see is God using you to do minor miracles or major miracles. See, if you this is one reason why you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need the power to be a witness. Because God gives believers that power so that they have the ability to do miracles. So that God can use you to cause the, 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 the lame to walk and the blind to see. Someone that has cancer to be healed. Somebody that has any, some other type of illness to be set free of that. In fact, is there anybody in here that has been healed as a result of somebody else praying for you or laying hands on you? Put your hand up. Now look around. Look at those hands. Keep them up for a moment. Now, keep your hands up. Anybody been healed in that way, but it wasn't a pastor or some minister that prayed for you? Keep your hand up. Look at all those hands. They were healed because somebody else was the hero. And if God can use the people that ministered to them for healing, God can use you to do the same. One of the best things you can do for some people is not even try to preach at them. When you find out they're struggling, let me pray for you. I'm just going to show and then tell. Anybody remember show and tell? I'm going to show and tell. And God wants to use you in that way. God has equipped you to do miracles. You have the goods right now. Well, how do I do that? You just start and then you flow.
Somebody say start, then flow. What do you mean start? Start a conversation with people. Start talking to them about Jesus, God, anything. Or, you know, maybe they, 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 need, they got a problem, you pray with them. Or maybe you, they got a sickness and you lay hands on them. Do what you know the Bible says to do. You don't have to be led, have some unction. The heavens don't have to open for you to be a Christian. To see somebody's hurting and let me talk to you, let me pray with you, let me lay hands on you. Let me just step out and do that. You should just be doing that all the time. Because people have needs all the time. And what do you mean by flow? When you start to talk, when you start to pray, when you lay hands on somebody, just check in here. Because you're not doing miracles separate from the Holy Ghost. And he will nudge you. He might even speak to your heart and, and, and tell you to do something in a little different way than what you have planned. He might say, say this or pray in this way. Or pray for this. And see, and, and, and all you need to do is flow. Whatever he tells you to say, say. Whatever he tells you to do, do. There are many, many times that God has used me in this way. And I can tell you, and there were times I was doing miracles, and, and then the Bible would call it gifts of healing, and I didn't even realize it was gifts of healing. I had been doing it for years and didn't realize, oh, that was gifts of healing. Because all I was doing was being led. I was just flowing. God would say, say this, and I'd say it. God will say, do this and I do it. And people would get healed and, 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 and because it's not hard. People think it's so hard to do miracles. If it was your ability to do it, then it'd be hard. If it took you and what you have in yourself to do something miraculous, then sure, man, that has to be really difficult. It's probably impossible. But when it's God's ability and you're just a conduit, he's just using you, it is easy. It's one of the easiest things you will ever do. All you got to do is flow and believe. When you do it, you just release your faith. As soon as I'm done laying hands on them or praying for them, it is done. Thank you, Father. And you move on with your life, and you wait to hear the testimony about what God has done. One of the ways that you're a hero, one way to be a witness for him is doing miracles by his power. So what's God saying to us today? He's saying, I want you to be a light by your lifestyle. I want you to preach the light by sharing Jesus. I want you to show the light by doing miracles. I want to show you one more thing in Matthew chapter 10. Y'all with me? You get anything out of this? Turn somebody behind you. Tell them, be a hero. Now, let's get real, real with this right now. Y'all ready? Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus says, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. What's he saying? This is dangerous. A sheep among wolves is in danger. He even say among one wolf. Sheep among wolves is in danger. If you're somebody that chooses to believe in Jesus and you're going to be public with your lifestyle, public by sharing Jesus, public by praying for people, laying hands on people, you are in danger. You will be attacked by the enemy. That's a fact. And in 2019, we can see that even in America, that is more so than it ever has been. That he's telling you here, I'm sending you out as sheep 
among wolves. One guy said this. He said, the secular society is not a neutral area into which we can project the Christian message. It is an area already occupied by other gods. So what are you talking about here? What do you mean I'm in danger? Well, the Bible teaches there is an enemy who hates your guts. His name is Satan. And the last thing he wants is for you to take somebody else from him. Because that's what you're doing. When you help somebody follow Jesus, the Bible says you are helping them set, be set free from the enemy and they're now becoming a part of God's family. So he is going to fight like crazy to keep you from winning them, from taking them from him. See, wealth in this world really is people. And when you win people to Jesus, you make God rich. And when you take them from the devil, you make him poorer. That's the war that's going on. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What's going on? The church is fighting Satan, and, and we're fighting for the same thing. We want to save people. He wants to keep enslaving people. So that's why when you decide to live this way, you will be attacked. Paul said it. He said, God opened this great door for us in Ephesus, and there are many adversaries. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that being a Christian and living this thing is not dangerous, that you won't be attacked. I'm here to tell you, step up anyway. Don't be a coward. Don't, 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 nah, don't just give up. I don't want nothing to do with that. Listen, you are made of more than that. And although this is so, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so you know, just, just, you know, so you know what, never mind. He said, no, I'm still sending you. And this is what you need to do. You just need to be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. I want you to live right, be innocent, but I also want you to be smart. Use your brain. The Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Bible says that thanks be to God who always causes you to win. God will bring you out, but that is as you use your brain. That is as you're led by the Holy Spirit. You've got to think and you've got to be led about when, what to say, when to say it, how to do it. Because you will be attacked, and that's okay. Bottom line is, you'll notice this more and more. I saw, I had a conversation not too long ago on, online, and you know, somebody was saying something crazy, and I jumped in and said a few things, and it became apparent after a while that they, it was just evil, just evil, evil. It's a lot of that. And you get to the place, and you see this a lot online, you know, on Twitter and stuff. There comes a point when I'm reading what people are saying, I'm saying, that's not people saying it, that's demons. And I'm not even calling the people demons. I'm saying these people are being influenced by demons. They're being oppressed. They're being used by demons. And Jesus said, don't forget who we're fighting. You're not fighting flesh and blood. That person really isn't your enemy. They are a hostage. They are, in some cases, actually being possessed by the enemy, being used. But you're still here to save them. Your real enemy are principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's Satan. And his forces. So, of course, when you start sharing Jesus and you want to live Jesus and you do miracles, they will howl. And they will attack you. You will be persecuted. But notice what Jesus said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you be reproached, meaning insulted, 
for the name of Christ, happy are you. What? It means blessed. What do you mean blessed? Well, first of all, the Bible teaches, Jesus says it elsewhere. He says, if you are persecuted for your faith, great is your reward in heaven. Every time they attack you, you just chalked up some more reward. You get attacked because you're believing in Jesus, yet that's a cha-ching in heaven. Thank you so much. You just added to my reward. Cha-ching. But beyond that, he says here, for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. And there are scriptures that talk about how you will be evil. People will lie on you. They do this now. You can see this publicly. They dog Christians out. They dog out the Christian faith. They lying, lying, lying. That's all right. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that they will talk about you and they'll revile you, but eventually they'll be ashamed because there really isn't nothing true they can say about you. In fact, it says in, in, in 1 Peter 2 that what will happen is those very people who are attacking you because of the way you live, eventually some of them end up following God next to you. So, yeah, they, they may come against you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is what? Glorified. And that's what God wants. God wants us to live our faith publicly in spite of the fact that we might be attacked for it. And there are people all over the world right now who deal with far more danger than we do. There are Christians who are dying for their faith every day when they couldn't do what we're doing right now without being dragged into prison. Where they couldn't, you know, that because they named the name of Jesus, they could be separated from their families. Even in the Bible, we see people like Peter being stoned and Stephen being stoned. And we don't even have to deal with that in America. The stones they use against us are words. But and if Peter, excuse me, Paul said, I said Peter, but if Paul could be stoned for Jesus, and people all over the world could die for Jesus, we can deal with people's words. Am I right? Yeah, we can deal with people's words. We ought to really get to the place where we do what Jesus talked about when he said, hey, man, a good man will lay down his life for his friends. We ought to be willing to lay down our reputation, lay down our comfort, lay down some of our time, lay down our life so that people who are far from him that we care about don't go to hell, but instead go to heaven. And we need to remember that no matter what happens, no matter how you're attacked, in the end, you win. So every head bowed, every head closed in prayer. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.